0: On today's show, we are focusing on the 1942 season, where things
1: have changed for the league due to the war. The league looks a bit different this year, with Geelong unable to compete. However, one of their players becomes an out-and-out star for another team. Melbourne and Collingwood bear the full brunt of the war and tumble down the ladder. The finals sees two new teams in the four, and Essendon and Richmond rise to the top. All that and more, coming up after our song. It's the history of football
2: we know about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such
0: intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and
2: the Kazman To hear what they all have to say
1: Welcome to the 1942 episode of the Kick to Kick podcast. We are again recording on location. I'm here in my shed. I'm Tim. Uh, in his land room, I can see Charlie behind a in front of a big bookshelf of books and some wine. Oh yeah. Hi everybody. And on his couch with his own glass of wine, I can see the Casman.
0: Hello, maybe slightly to your left.
1: I don't know. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> how uh how are we doing in this uh no football world at the moment lads struggling
0: it's a real struggle i've you been watching a too. lot of highlights yeah same uh can't wait for it to come back mm.
2: bring it back bring it back i say
0: not <laughs> obviously
2: not
1: right now some interesting ideas they're floating around as well with the uh you know the the, the camps yeah oh yeah
2: yeah i uh, look who knows what's gonna happen it's yeah we'll figure something out i'm sure
0: look we were set for best and ferris in uh Auskick. we uh, we we got um junior games to get around with we, it, it's a it's mm. sad time um <laughs> <laughs>
2: across the whole thing
0: yeah no the the
2: the AFL, AFL has always been a um a Ingenious group, they'll figure something out. I mean, if we just need to look at 1942 and all the years we've already talked about. Things were going on in the world, they'll figure something out. And
1: 1942 is not that dissimilar from what's happening at the moment, uh, which we'll get into... On a whole different level. Yeah. Before we get stuck into the season, Charlie, yeah, but how? About, well, let's go through a little bit of history. Give us some history.
2: Okay, let's do it. All right. So starting on the very 1st of January 1942, there was a uh, declaration by the United Nations, uh, which was signed by China, the UK and the US and the Soviet Union, as well as 22 other nations, I should say, in which they all agreed not to make any separate peace with the Axis powers. So they've really made sure they are the, the Union there.
1: Just going to interrupt you for a sec, Charlie. The song we're listening to in the background is uh, a classic ditty by Bing Crosby uh, called Deep in the Heart of Texas. Oh, okay. Uh, Now, number one this year was actually White Christmas, but I refuse to play Christmas songs if it's not Christmas. Fair
2: call. Fair call. I can get around that. You know, I understand. It doesn't make a lot of sense having Christmas songs... uh, (laughs) at Easter time, especially. It's a bit strange. No. Um, So on the 13th of January, to continue, a test pilot, Helmut Schenk, became the first person to escape from a stricken aircraft with an ejection seat. There you go. So it was a a test. Uh, And Henry Ford on the same day patented a plastic automobile which would be 30% lighter than the regular car. On the 19th of February, uh, Darwin was bombed by Japanese warplanes. Um, one of those returning planes, after they bombed, crashed on Melville Island, and its pilot, Hajime Toyoshima, became the first Japanese uh, soldier captured on Australian soil when a resident, an indigenous resident of Melville Island, Mateus Ulungura, took him prisoner. Love that.
1: Citizens' arrest. Awesome.
2: Yeah. On the 12th of April, Bambi was released in theatres everywhere. On the 31st of May and the 1st of June, there was the attack on Sydney Harbour by Japanese midget submarines that infiltrated the harbour in an attempt to attack Allied warships. And later on... uh, bit further on June the 8th, um, continuing with that attack on Sydney Harbour, Australian cities and S- Sydney and Newcastle were shelled by Jap- Japanese submarines. The eastern suburbs of both cities were damaged and the east coast was blacked out. In World War II news, but slightly different, on the 12th of June, on her 13th birthday, Anne Frank made the first entry into her new diary. I've never read it. I've ne- I've never read it either, actually. I should. Hmm. Should. Uh, on the 21st of July, the Japanese established a beachhead on the north coast of New Guinea and a small Australian force began the rearguard action on the Kokoda Track. So that was the beginning of the Kokoda Trail campaign. Uh, on the 31st of July, Oxfam, or the Os- Oxford Committee for Famine Relief, was founded. On the 25th of August, uh, Prince George, the Duke, and the brother of the king and the and the abdicated king died in a flying accident over morven in scotland at the age of 39 on the 30th of october construction began on the burma railway which was built by well 15000 australian prisoners of war captured by the japanese after the fall of singapore at the beginning of november colonus won the melbourne cup uh, on the 16th of November, Japan retreated from the Kokoda Trail with Australia be- being declared the victors in the area. On the 26th of November, the movie Casablanca premiered at the Hollywood Theatre in New York. Classic. Yeah, absolute classic. On the 2nd of December, um, below Stagg Field at the University of Chicago, the team led by Enrico Fermi initiated the first self-sustaining nuclear chain reaction. So that was part of the the beginning of the Manhattan project. Cool. Yeah. Um, The the coded message, the Italian navigator has landed in the new world was sent to the US president FDR. So that was code to say that they'd done it. I liked it. And Unknown date, DDT, was first used as a pesticide oh. in 1942.
0: Mm, and we all know how that turned out. So there you go.
2: <laughs> great. <laughs> Good story. Really great. Um, so a few people born in 1942 as well. Some very interesting names here. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. On the 8th of January, Stephen Hawking. On the 17th of January, two people who are very similar, Muhammad Ali <laughs> and Ita Butros.
0: Oh. <laughs> Both good in the ring.
2: I would watch that (laughs) fight. I would absolutely watch that fight. (laughs) Um, On uh, February 9th, Carol King was born. On February 14th, Michael Bloomberg, the 108th mayor of New York, the businessman, the man who has recently declared he's no longer running for American president, was born. On the 13th of March, Scatman John. Hey, the casman.
0: Scatman John. Let's do it. Okay.
1: Uh,
2: On the same day, George Negus, the Australian journalist, was
1: born. Again, two two very similar characters.
2: On the twenty (laughs) fifth. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. On the twenty fifth of March, Aretha Franklin. On the on the twenty fourth of April, Barbara Streisand. On the 29th of June, we had Mike Willisy, the television journalist who died, unfortunately, last year. On the 18th of June, Paul McCartney. Yep, good one. On the 20th of June, Brian Wilson. So the Beach Boys and the Beatles all at the same time. And uh, June 27th, Bruce Johnston, who was also yep. part of the Beach Boys. On July the 13th, we had Harrison Ford.
1: Yeah, that's, hey. this is a good year.
0: Great year.
2: I know right there's a lot yeah seriously on July the 16th Margaret Court the fantastic tennis player and extremely controversial human being um, on the 5th of September Werner Herzog the German filmmaker on the 19th of November Calvin Klein great underpants uh, on the 20th of November Joe Biden the uh, well, I guess hey. he kind of is the next Democratic um presidential candidate yeah. at this stage. Um, if, if things don't change, and the 47th vice president of the United States, of course. On the 24th of November, Billy Connolly, the comedian and singer mm. legend, and on the 27th of November, another strange duo Manolo Blonick, the Spanish shoe designer, mm. and Jimi Hendrix, the American guitarist.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Right, love it nice. All right, well, let's get into some league news. and as we said, um, a very kind of similar similar time to what we're going through now, whereas there's a lot of uncertainty about things. Um, so we've got a new prime minister, I think you mentioned last episode, um John Curtin. Yeah, last
2: last year that happened. John Curtin took over.
1: Yeah, and he wasn't as keen about football being played. Um, as Robert Menzies was, even though he had played for the VFA himself, and his cousins playing Fitzroy. Yeah,
0: who did he? Who did he play for? He played uh, Coburg or Preston. Uh,
1: yeah, what that's right, Preston. Yeah. Um, anyway, they um, pre-season Hawthorne, Collingwood, and Melbourne kind of say we shouldn't play. Let's abandon the season. We're mm. losing too many players. Yeah. Um, but in the end, the, the the league went ahead. So those three teams. Uh, continue playing even though they were absolutely decimated by that. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, that's, I was going to, going to say from that, I mean, Hawthorne probably not so much, but Melbourne and Collingwood, you can totally understand where they're coming from because of all the clubs, they were by far the, the, the worst affected by players yeah. not being available.
1: Um, The other thing was the fixture was complicated by the fact that the, uh, the VFL didn't know if the grounds would be available. So all the, all the grounds, yeah. uh, except for Windy Hill and Brunswick Street Oval, were candidates for long-term appropriation by the military.
2: Yeah. In fact, I think the, the, the MCG ended up um, being taken by the Americans and then the RAAF until it did, uh, yeah. 45. So it's three, three years that they weren't able to play there.
1: Yeah. So um, obviously Geelong lost their home ground last season. And we know... Uh, they moved to Cardinia. Um, yeah. So the VFL announced that unless three grounds were available, the season probably couldn't go ahead. But uh, in time, they were able to find grounds because mm. of the fact that the VFA decided not to play. So because the VFA decided to abandon, that yes. was great for the VFL because we could use their grounds.
2: Mm. That was it. Without the VFA abandoning, there probably would have been no football yeah, across so the board.
1: They take one for the team. Um, so... Mm.
2: <laughs> they would have been so happy to do it as well.
1: So ultimately the MCG Lakeside Oval, Western Oval and Junction Oval were all taken by the army, uh, which meant that St Kilda moved to Turak Park, um, Footscray and yes. Yarraville Oval.
2: And um, yeah, Melbourne started sharing Punt Road.
1: Yep. And I think they, they might've trained somewhere else as well.
2: And South Melbourne shared Monroe. Princess Park with Carlton. Yeah.
1: Um, now, important question for you guys. Because St. Kilda and South Melbourne are no longer playing at uh, by the lake, Do we still, are they still contesting the lakeside pennant? We need to make a decision. Yeah, I think they are because they're both lakeside teams.
2: They're lakeside teams. They go back to it. it it's not like they, they moved, moved by choice. They're still playing for the completely value, valueless lakeside pennant, which is fantastic yeah. for them.
0: If you live Lakeside, you're either you're either south or um, yeah. So you you've got to choose exactly.
1: Um, now the next thing, Charlie. I know this is going to make you really angry. Um, the way the fixture was set mm-hmm. up. So. Um, <laughs> yeah, bullshit. <laughs> so during the first eleven rounds, each team played each other once and had the bye. The remaining five rounds were the same. So rounds twelve to sixteen were the same matches as rounds one to five. But this was an uneven fixture with six teams playing fifteen matches and five teams playing fourteen matches. Teams that had a bye were awarded four points for the bye, so some teams got an extra four points because they had an extra bye.
0: What an absolute load of rubbish! Okay, like
1: I, I, I actually, I actually don't
2: mind the system as as a whole, because it's like, we're just getting this done. We're running on, you know, fumes, we're playing in the wrong places. So they're like, we're just getting footy to the people, which I'm all about, but four yeah. points for a buy makes no, no sense is. at all. Because you may as well, you better off just saying zero points for a buy. And then the less teams get a, f- the fewer teams get affected.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, but why can't you win when you're playing away? Uh, um, I know. I know. It seems in this era much easier to win when you're at home, but uh, uh, surely you still win when you're away.
2: It's ridiculous. I don't. Yeah. The four points for a bye thing makes no sense to me at all. At, at most, it should be two yeah. points for a bye.
1: Yeah. Luckily, the uh, VFL was saved an embarrassment in the final round, and we'll get to that later. Um, the other big thing we haven't actually brushed on yet yeah. is Geelong didn't play this season.
2: No. So yeah, they, because of travel restrictions, which is uh, very interesting. And in, in this time um, they weren't able to, to travel up and down the freeway from Geelong to Melbourne. So interestingly, t- temporary transfers were available to uh, Geelong players yeah. with a limit, a limit on that of three players going to each club.
1: Even though quite a few seem to go to South Melbourne. I've got I've got a list here of the players that left. Oh. Uh, we've got Jim, Jim Knight, George Neal, and Jim and Neil Tucker to Carlton, Jack Grant and Lent Hoyne to FitzRoy, yep. Clyde Helmer to Melbourne, Vic Nankurvis to St Kilda, Jack Butcher, George Doherty, Bill Harwood, Lindsay White, Pat Leahy, and Wally Southern to South Melbourne.
0: Whoa. Yeah. So six
2: to South. Mm. Interesting.
1: Um, the other thing was Geelong still had to pay their one hundred pound entry fee to the league, so they could keep their spot. Yeah. Which
2: is so, sounds, sounds a bit greedy. And their players were paid like a, a minimum wage as well, even though they weren't playing. I think they were paid at one pound ten. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's great. I
2: read maybe I read that. Yeah. Um, a few other things. Uh, happened. So there was actually talk because as we said before, Melbourne and Collingwood were uh, two of the, the biggest ones against playing because they'd been totally decimated. At one point in this uh, year, there was whispers of them amalgamating into a joint team for this time to cover those losses, but they were both able to
1: compete. That happened in the Sandville. Quite a few teams merged for the war period. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, so imagine so that. Let's just imagine Collingwood and Melbourne had merged, and that Collingwood-Melbourne team won the flag. Would that mean Melbourne had won? F- they would that have hundred percent. Melbourne wins four in a row, and Collingwood have kind of helped them equal that record. I mean, it, it's messy. I think each
2: team, each team gets a flag. Melbourne's won four in a row, but Collingwood have won another one. So well done them.
1: Mm. I'm not sure how the uh, VFA, uh, the Sandfall did it, but yeah, it it could have gotten very messy. So I I think it's good they didn't do that in the end. I think
2: I'm going to rewrite history. If that had happened, we definitely would have won another flag for sure.
1: (laughs) Um, Now we've also got a pre-season fundraising match that was played between Fitzroy and Richmond at the Punt Road Oval.
2: Yeah. There were quite a few um, fundraising matches this year, which is always good. We've got rid of the lightning
1: cup. Thank God for that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but we've got a few other things happening, which is great.
1: Yeah, so that preseason cup, uh, Richmond defeated Fitzroy 109 to 67, 15,000 people in attendance, a gate-taking of around 700 pounds, which I, I'm pretty sure all went to the war effort.
2: Yeah. And then there were there were a few matches between um, the different uh, services, so like the Army, the Navy, and the uh, Air Force. Uh, there was a, a couple between like – amalgamations of different teams played, yeah it was, it was all very strange but a lot of good stuff going on, a lot of teams that would have been great to watch I reckon
1: mm, Absolutely, if you look at some of those teams and we'll get to some of them later on as well
2: Yeah, definitely
0: Alright, so let's, uh, let's work up from the bottom In 11th place at the bottom, 11, interesting interesting number there Hawthorne, yes <laughs> I know you're shocked. One win, fourteen losses, sixty-five point six percent.
2: Let's do it. Hawthorne had a uh, just a ripper season for the Bay Um No captain, captain by Jack Carmody, coached by uh, none other than Roy Cazale. Yep, Cazale. Um Their they're lead they're goal me. kicker was Alec Alberston with thirty-two. Their best and fairest was Jack Barker. So not a lot. Great happening for for Hawthorn this year. They had, well, I guess you call it two wins if they're getting four points for the bye. <laughs> so ridiculous.
1: So I got some. I got some good names here for you, Casman. Oh, they had a record of eighteen oh. players debut for the season, which was a record mm. at that stage for the Hawks. Um, I've got Barney Jorgensen, good, Reg Hawkins, Harold Zucker. So just some some interesting names. Uh, yes, we
0: love a good Jorgensen. There must be. It must be mm. Norwegian. Um, so of no <laughs> yeah. of all the debutants they had,
1: uh, only one, Peter O'Donoghue made it past 50 games. Mm-hmm. Tough period. Yeah. Oh god. Um attendance plummeted to an average of around yeah. five people. Yeah, the the average
2: um well, oh, the average round's attendance has dropped massively over the last, it's it's halved in two years. So the average round before the war or even 1939 was um 100,000 across all the games in a round. It's now down to 51 or something. So it's halved
0: totally. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. I, I, yeah. Um, but the one bright spark for Hawthorne this season was they recorded their first ever win over Collingwood. Yes. Round five.
2: Permission. Um, again, big, big asterisks on that one. They beat them again the next year as well, I think. But uh, no Spoiler alert, Charlie. I mean, they're playing, they're playing a team that doesn't really exist at this
0: stage. True. So <laughs> They're uh, playing left-handed.
1: In that game, Fred Jones kicked five goals for the uh, Mayblooms. Collingwood did kick a woeful ten goals twenty, so he kind of gave away that match. Um, so that was yeah, they'd lost mm. the previous twenty nine matches in a row, which I'm pretty sure is the record number of losses in a row. Oh,
0: is this
1: yeah, uh, twenty nine in a row? Is the biggest uh, winning record re- winning sequence of any team over another team? Uh, the next, and what's the second match, biggest? Uh, is Essendon, no, sorry, Carlton have got 25 wins over the Hawks in, in kind of the same period as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, okay, that's that's good. I don't mind that at all. As long as Melbourne's Those nowhere near that, I'm happy.
1: Um, uh, so Hawthorne lost its remaining 10 games by an average of six goals to claim a second wooden spoon in succession. Uh, the most heartbreaking loss for them was around 10 three-point defeat to South Melbourne at Punt Road, despite leading by two goals no in the final man. change. No. Mm. Yes, um, so let's move on and a name we
0: probably wouldn't expect to be second last on the ladder. Okay, 10th place, Collingwood. Yes, you heard right. Two wins, 12 losses. I know we feel terrible for them. 76%.
2: Yeah, so Collingwood, unbelievable. Captain by Fonz Kine, coached by Jock McHale. Their uh, lead goal kicker was Albie Panem with 37 and then he also took out their best and fairest. Um, Another interesting thing about uh, Collingwood this year, um, obviously we've just talked about they were massively hit by a loss of players, but one huge loss to Collingwood this year was the retirement of a 50-year veteran trainer, Wall Lee, the father of Dick Lee.
1: He's finally hung up the boots. Oh. Yeah. Absolute uh, institution at Collingwood at that stage as well. That's a huge loss for them.
0: Certainly was. 50 years as a trainer. Yeah, through all the glorious years. That's right. While- um,
1: Kaz, I've got a, a, uh, a really good debutante for you. Very just the epitome of Collingwood. His name is Roy Stab.
0: <laughs> I like it. Of course, we all know that uh, we had Dick Condon who invented, uh, well, we, we we say loosely, the Stab pass, which led them to so many premierships.
3: Mm.
1: That's a good little link there, Casman. Well done. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so the club
1: also was celebrating its, uh, celebrating its 50th anniversary this season. So not the uh, mm. not the best year to be doing that. Um, pre Jack Regan announced that he intended to enter as a religious brother in the Salesian community in Sunbury, mm. uh, and he didn't play that. He didn't play this season, so that's no. one's kind.
0: him of as captain. <laughs> Took over as <laughs> captain. Yeah, absolutely. Now we've almost um, seen that in um, the Richmond defender um, Alex Rance. Uh, yeah, that's right. So there you go. So history hasn't hasn't been made there. No. Um, it was said that Collingwood lost up to
1: 40 players due to the war. Um, and because of that, they didn't have a second team this season either. Mm. They Round two, they suffered what is the worst loss ever on the Jock McHale's watch, losing to Richmond by 138 points. Probably
2: one of their worst losses ever, I assume, as well. <laughs>
1: 138 points, 25 goals, 25 to five goals, seven. Um, an absolutely embarrassment for them. Now, Collingwood wouldn't wouldn't win a game until round eight, which was a 25-point win over Melbourne at Punt Road Oval. Uh, Elby Panam and Joe Tolman with four goals each in that game. Mm. Um, Now, in the final game of the season, so they only had one win up until this point, um, they played Hawthorne. um, And luckily, they won this game by 14 points because it sign Hawthorne to the wooden spoon outright. But if Hawthorne had have won, then they would have had an argument with the league about claiming the wooden spoon as they had, had one by and Collingwood had two byes. So they saved a bit of a embarrassment.
2: Yeah, so that's an interesting one because they played... So Collingwood won two, Hawthorne won one. Yeah. Yeah. But if they won to each they still would have finished on the bottom officially, even though there was a buy. Thank God. Yeah. Well, I kind of wish it had happened so we could fit, so they would have realised how foolish this system was.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, so that's
0: uh, three years out of the finals now for Collingwood as well. Nice. Yeah. In ninth place, not Richmond, North Melbourne, with four wins, 10 losses, 78.2%. Four wins, sounding good.
2: So North Melbourne, captained uh, by uh, Bill Finlay, coached by Bob McCaskill and then Bill, Bill Finlay. Uh, their lead goalkeeper was uh, Sel Murray with 42 and the BNF was uh, Jimmy Allister. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yes, so 43 players were used this year for North Melbourne with only Jack Allister and Sid Slater playing all 14 games. Um, So, coach of this team was Bob McCaskill the year before. He was transferred interstate for the season, uh, which saw Bill Finlay taking the reins, as you said, Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A debutant for North Melbourne, Kazman, was Teddy Long.
0: Mm, the Big Ted.
1: Big Ted. (laughs) Um, now, round one saw them have a big win over Hawthorne by 34 points. In Sal Murray's absence, uh, George Kennedy kicked six goals and Bill Finlay five goals. But we welcome Sal Murray back in round two, even though they had a four goal loss. Um, other wins for North this year came over South Melbourne, Collingwood. Oh, and then he kicked
2: four goals in their loss.
1: Yeah. yeah. Other yeah. wins for the year came against South Melbourne, Collingwood, and Hawthorne. Um, as you said, Sal Murray was at his brilliant best again, 42 goals in 13 games. The highlight being six goals against the Pies at Arden Street. Uh, He kicked goals in every game he played. Um, But the best thing that happened Mm. to North Melbourne was an an administrative coup, uh, which the club actually got lease of its (laughs) oval back. So since 1922, they had an in-principle agreement with the committee involving a football, cricket club and independent chairman. But this expired in 1942. It was given back to the Melbourne City Council. So North Melbourne's committee applied for the lease and were given it by the council. Therefore, they became their own ground manager.
0: I absolutely love the history of of North Melbourne and their grounds. Totally yeah, so. I love it. So before that, it was it was run
2: by footy cricket and then also somebody else who was like, okay, we're going to use it for you know a carnival this weekend or something. Yeah. And now it's just purely. Arden Street is North Melbourne's home ground.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Love it. That's great. Wow. 1942. In eighth place, Tim, is Melbourne. This is not a typo. This is correct. So five wins, 10 losses, 85.2%.
2: Yep. Unfortunately, the last time we're going to be able to say that for a while. Uh, so, yeah, as we said, two to. Two teams you wouldn't expect to be down in the doldrums of the ladder, Melbourne and Collingwood. Collingwood, their eighth captain coach this year by Percy Beans. Yeah. Um. um which, yeah, bit of a change. So, yeah, a lot, a lot going on there. But their lead goal kicker was Fred Fanning, a name we will come to know and love, with 37. And their best and fairest winner was Alan LaFontaine. So, as we yes. mentioned before, um, uh, Melbourne were probably the most affected team. Or in fact, I would say definitely the most affected team coming into, into this year. Um, of the 36 players that, were, that played for Melbourne in 41, 18 of them were unavailable. So yeah. that's that's just your that's just the one side. So half half the team that you would expect to be playing weren't
0: there. So we I reckon. So what are we saying? Like the the um, the players they probably want to play. People probably want to watch football. It's probably not exactly you know the kind of the best version of it. But if you see it from their point of view, it, we're kind of, we're kind of glad they still played. I know they they're down the bottom a lot of it. Yeah, no, you're 100% right, Kaz, But um But it, it, it is uh, obviously, you know, Checker Hughes, he can't even coach. But, well, he, uh, Checker Hughes retired. He had his own business
1: and wanted to leave to focus on that. Um, Percy mm. Page also left as well, which is another big uh, loss. He took up a position with the oh. Australian National Football Council. Yeah, well, they came, came over at the same time. Yeah, and he also, he was serving on as a member of the RAAF.
2: Mm. And you can understand, I mean, they came, or well, Paige came over in 33, so he's done 10 years, Sheik has done nine, he's won three premierships. He's probably like, great, I can, I've can. i done this, tick. I'm going to move yeah. on and do, do some other stuff. I'm leaving the club in great hands.
1: Yeah. Um, I've got a quick interview, uh, uh, some audio of Percy Beams talking about how he got the job.
4: I never applied for coach, but the coaching job, Uh, It was just told to me by uh, Joe Blair. He called me in the office one day and uh, and said, uh, you're coaching Melbourne next, uh, uh, this year. And uh, he said, we'll pay you four four pounds, which is equal to $8 uh, uh, coaching fee.
1: Um, So round one for the third time in three years, Melbourne lost their opening game. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Unfortunately.
1: Alan Lafontaine and Jack Mueller both came into the game having not trained at all.
2: Yeah, because they've been on because they've been on army service. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, they lost by fifty-four points. Um, round two is probably the real story for Melbourne this season, though.
2: Yeah, love this.
1: So yeah, Bluey Truscott's really a story of the season, I guess. So round two, he <laughs> surprised everyone by showing up during. Yes.
2: So we can't. We, the, the round one, we can't really blame on the curse of the president's wife because there was no flag unfurled in round one. We didn't do it because <laughs> it wasn't a home game. Yeah. So that brings us to round two, which as you said, so uh, Bluey Truscott um, led Melbourne onto the field as their captain for the day.
1: Yeah, so he actually showed up during the week. No one had expected him to be home. Uh, word spread about him because he was, you know, he was revered as this great footballer, great air squadron mm. leader. Um, word mm. got out that he was going to be at the game. So there was just fever pitch this game. He found it really hard to get into the rooms. Apparently, Percy Beams tried to speak to the team before, and there was just so much hubbub in the room, yeah. he couldn't get a word in. So mm. there was hardly a a, um, a pregame address at all. And uh, Bluey Truscott was made honorary captain for the day. As you could, I uh, will I'll, we'll share that YouTube video. You can see him leading the team out.
2: Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, he didn't have a great game, it must be said, because, well, he, had, he hadn't he had trained. Although he was very physically fit, he had absolutely no match condition.
1: No, so I'll just go back pre-game a second, Charlie. Yeah. Just go back pre-game a little bit really quickly. Um, so before the game, Bluey Truscott, his mother, and the wife of Chairman Joe Blair unfurled the premiership flag together. Um, He was presented with a 1941 premiership medallion by Bill McClellan. Um, The great Melbourne man himself. He was given a £1,000 cheque or money order by John Wren. Wow. Um, And one one thing that actually happened was Jack Dyer ran over with him towards the Richmond supporters. They raised his hand up and he asked the Richmond supporters to give him three cheers, which is really unlike Jack Dyer.
2: You know, very much so. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. I love
1: that. Um, so as you said, he was really underdone. Melbourne uh, Melbourne conceded 10 goals in the second quarter and we're never really in this game. Um, in the third quarter, umpire Hutchinson blew his whistle, uh, signaling a free kick to Bluey Truscott. Legend has it that Jack Dyer gave it away deliberately, but nothing was ever proved. But apparently Jack Dyer's wife was a cousin of Bluey Truscott's. <laughs> um, but Truscott went back... Truscott went back, uh, covered in mud, socks around his ankles, and would kick the last goal of his career. Um, but in mm. the end, this game would would be a seventy nine point loss.
2: Yes, and and yeah, as you said, the la- the last of Louis' uh, fifty senior games he played. That's it.
0: I love the a um, little bit of um, uh, um, I don't know um, something similar to the. Um, Richmond Anzac, Richmond Melbourne Anzac Day games.
1: Yeah.
3: No, um, yeah. Also, this
0: game set
1: a record for the highest aggregate score in a game, with the teams combining for forty-eight goals, twenty-five, three
2: hundred and thirteen. Huge. Stood for yeah, thirty record. years.
1: Yeah, absolutely insane. <laughs> um, Love it. Yeah, so let's move on. Round four would be their first win, which was against Hawthorne by 46 points. Uh, your boy Fred Fanning kicking seven in that game. Their second <laughs> win of the year was a seesawing battle with the Shinboners. Despite many of their players not being at their best, they overcame an 11-point deficit in the last 10 minutes with three straight goals to record a lucky escape. Um, and round 12 was probably Melbourne's best win. They finally started playing like the are three-time defending champs. And they had a win over the uh, the top of the table, Bombers, unfortunately. Yeah. With Baggett, Baggett Fanning and Beams being best on ground. Uh, they also won two of their last three games, beating Fitzroy and Hawthorne. But overall, I mean, just getting... Pretty average. The-
2: yeah. Unfortunately for those demons. Anyway, what can you do?
1: Yes. I mean, you know things are bad when the, the team above them finishes above them.
2: Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> So speaking of which, moving on.
0: Seventh place, St. Kilda with six wins, eight losses, 81.9%. Captain coach
2: by Reg Garvin. Lead goal kicker was Jack Kelly with 21. And their best and fairest winner was Ken Walker.
1: Yes, uh, some debutantes for you, Kazman. We've got Bill Butler, Fonz Auger, Dudley Proben, Marcel Hills. Um, they also got Frank mm-hmm. Kelly and Jack Brenchley, who came across from Peran to help the team as the VFA was closed. Yeah. Keith Miller could only play in two games this season after being relocated interstate with the RAAF.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are all fine players, but we do not see many Geelong players going to St. Kilda, do we? Let's be honest. No,
1: there's, there was, what, two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> as you said, Charlie Garvin was now the captain, elevated. Yep. Um, they managed six wins for the season, round two being their first with a big win over Hawthorne. Uh, but they look pretty inconsistent, losing more games in the first half of the season. Before a bit of a run in the middle of the season, saw them snag a few games. Um, like Melbourne, they also had a one-goal win over S es- or they were able to beat top of the table Essendon in round nine.
2: Yeah, in a very, in a very muddy affair.
1: Yeah. Um, they then thumped North Melbourne in round 11 with Dudley Proben kicking eight in his one and only season which is actually a VFL venue record for Turak Park. Well, how long was Turak Park a VFL venue? <laughs> One season. <laughs> yeah, okay. There we go.
0: It's still an obscure record. Absolutely. Hold on
2: to it for as long as you can. Which then... Um, uh,
0: sixth place, Fitzroy, the Mighty Gorillas, with eight wins and seven losses, 104.9%.
2: So... Um, Fitzroy was captained again by Dan Minogue in his last year at the club and captained by um, Maury Hearn. Um, their lead goal kicker was Claude Curtin with 61.
1: Yeah. Um, so, Frank, how do you say his name? Curcio. Curcio, yeah. Apparently, his nickname was like Musso because he was Italian. So, like Mussolini? Mussolini? Yeah,
4: yeah, classic. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah.
1: Um, so, he had enlisted in the war, so he wasn't available, hence Maury Hearn being the captain. Um, and Maury Hearn talked about one of his um, great honours was actually getting to meet the Prime Minister before a game, but he, he couldn't remember which one.
2: And which Prime Minister? Well, there were three in that short period of time. So. No,
1: no, no. Maury Hearn couldn't remember which game. It was definitely Curtin because uh, Curtin's nephew played for Fitzroy.
2: Yep, yep. Okay, sorry. I'm with you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, round one. The season started with an emphatic 25-point win over the Saints. The highlight of which being Hayden Uh, Button's back.
3: Hey,
2: what? But he's back over on service, is he?
1: Yeah. So he was in town training for the army, um, and said, you know, if I'm going to play football, if I'm in Melbourne, I'm only playing for Fitzroy. So love uh, it. He he played a few games. Yeah. He so uh, in this game, Curtin kicked four goals with every one of them uh, through the accurate passing of Hayden Button, who seems like he hasn't hasn't slowed down at all. But we will find out. Still got it. Um, interestingly enough, only Len Smith and Frank Curcio were Button's teammates in the past. The team has completely changed since you left in, I think it was 37. Yeah, so, wow. Um, then Fitzroy won in round two against North by 21 points. In uh, round three, they had a thumping win over Melbourne. Claude Curtin booting seven goals. However, the win over Melbourne would be Hayden Button's last as a Fitzroy player. Um, He injured his ankle and then the Army took him back over to WA and that would be the end of Hayden Bunton as a VFL player. Yeah. And uh, we might talk a bit more about him later on. I'm sure we will. Um, In round four, Fitzroy were undefeated and took on Carlton and this would be Albert Collier's very last game. Um, He was quite prominent in the second quarter, um, but the – The Maroons, or the Gorillas is what they were called then, couldn't get the win. And that brought a close, unfortunately, to Albert Collier's career. Now, I assumed it was because he was too old or injured, but it was, in fact, because he was transferred interstate with the RAAF. And, um, yeah, he didn't play another league game after that. Um, They won five of their last 12 games, but they missed the finals again, which is you know kind of what's happening with Fitzroy. Yeah. Uh, the annual the annual report noting when it's taken into consideration that the majority of our players were in camp in the various fighting services and could not train regularly. And 75% of the regular senior team were required to play in hard service matches with their respective units each Sunday, as well as participate in their club's league engagements each Saturday. Their efforts were most praiseworthy and called for their highest commendation.
2: Yeah. And I, I feel like that's a great statement and probably... probably uh, covers most of the league at this stage really, not just Fitzroy. So yeah. it's it's a good thing to a good thing to notice. There was something uh also I think you had to have to mention to, about Fitzroy was there was an unofficial tenth flag for Fitzroy this year, Timmy. Did you hear about this one? No, tell me. No, okay. So Frank Curcio, as we said, left did well had to had to step down as captain because he, he enlisted in the RAAF. As well as Frank Giorgio, there were about nine other Fitzroy players, including Len Smith and a couple of others uh, who were part of the RAAF, and they all represented the RAAF to win the Inter-Services League Cup for the year. So basically a team of Fitzroy players won the flag for the Inter-Services League. So there's your 10th flag for Fitzroy.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Yeah, I feel like if that was St. Kilda winning that, they'd make a big celebration. But Fitzroy got quite a few, so they probably didn't make a big deal about that. <laughs> no,
2: oh, well, yeah, yeah.
0: Fifth place, just missing out on finals. Carlton. That's right, with 10 wins, four losses, 120.2%.
2: Yeah, so moving on to Carlton. So uh, captained by Jim Francis, coached again by Perce Bentley. Remember, if we still remember, he can't play because he's sitting on the on the bench after moving across uh, last year. Their lead goal kicker was Paul Schmidt with 47.
1: Schmidty!
2: Yeah, Schmidt. And their BNF winner was Jim Mooring. So as Tim mentioned earlier, they recruited uh, Jim Knight from Geelong, who was a fantastic midfielder. Uh, also, a couple of um, uh, debutants this year were Ollie Grieve and Bert Deacon.
1: Mm, um can you tell us a bit about Bert Deacon?
0: So, Bert Deacon, uh, he, he, he's obviously gone on to won a Branly Medal in 1947, but uh, this year debuts. Um, a superb mark. There's just nothing more valuable than, than someone who can grab it, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, he tied for uh, club captain with Ern Henfrey, um, in the best and fairest, in, in, uh in um, which year uh, played in the uh, nineteen forty five and nineteen forty seven. So he's right up there. He's one of the, one of the club greats. Um, he returned to Preston as captain and coach in nineteen fifty seven. Anyway, so and he goes on to be. He's one of those football people, you know. Stays as a cl- uh, club secretary, yeah. um. And uh, actually in the football Bible, it goes like this, Tim, regarded as one of football's gentlemen. Now, I don't know if there's any other title that you want to, want to be, be um, attributed, but that is one of them. Oh
1: yeah. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Carlton were the team that had a buy first up. And actually I didn't mention this at the start of the show, but um I'll let you know how the buy curse goes. I've actually kept track of that as, we, as the season gone on.
0: Ah, okay. Um,
1: so they had the first up buy. It was followed by quite a big loss to South Melbourne, although our new favourite player, Schmidty kicked two goals. Schmidty, Uh Round four saw the Blues finally open their account, beating Fitzroy, who had previously been undefeated. This game was hard and solid with perhaps too much weight used at times. And Carlton's evenness was a winning feature. Fitzroy played wildly, Neville settled down and kicked poorly. Uh, the first quarter being the difference where Carlton kicked five goals, four to Fitzroy six behinds. Round six was a thumping of North. Schmitty with five. Yes, Schmitty. <laughs> round seven was a loss to the Bulldogs, but saw the debut of Burt Deacon that you have just talked about, Kaz. Schmitty with another five. Yep. Oh. Uh, round eight, Schmitty would go on for seven as the Blues kicked away from the Saints in the second half. Jack Rout also chipping in for five. And following this match, Carlton wouldn't lose again for the rest of the season. She said they won eight in a row. Round 10, Carlton. Uh, so Carlton played Melbourne. Carlton took this game by 28 points off the back of an impressing, impressing, impressive opening quarter. Schmidt with eight. Schmidty. <laughs> Round 13, Carlton versus South. The media hold it like this. Amidst thunderous applause and while playing time off, White raised the two flags to put South a point in the lead. And it looked as though it was South's game. But Carlton came again, however, and forced the ball along the wing where Linden marked. The tall chap went back to have his kick, which would have put the ball well out of danger and brought victory to South. But instead, he made an unpardonable error in attempting a hand pass instead of kicking the ball. The ball was intercepted by Mooring, who picked it up and slammed it through for the winning goal to Carlton. There must have been only seconds left to play and South came at it again, but the
0: bell rang to deprive them any chance of a reprieve.
2: Good finish.
0: You just cannot imagine the Carlton these days um, reflecting the dominance of Carlton Evolve. I love it. I, he- I, I, I don't want that to come back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, round 15, the Gorillas were getting on top in this game at Brunswick Street Oval, leading by five goals at three-quarter time. And a worried purse Bentley rallied his blue boys, demanding more direct football to maximize the wind advantage. He then watched on as his team grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck. With uh, Bob Chitty impassable across half back. Jim Bones Baird began marking everything that came his way. He kicked another spectacular five goals in the term, finishing with seven. As the Blues came roaring back and vanquished a stunned Fitzroy by 17 points, 17-13, 115 to 13-20, 98. Um, and finally, round 18, the big win over Richmond was soured when Ruckman Rod McLean was reported and later suspended for 16 games for umpire abuse and unsporting <laughs> contact. 16? Um, oh, yeah, fun fact. Uh, the
0: sentimental life.
1: Rod, so Rod McLean was the grandfather of Brock McLean.
0: Oh. There you go. Famous Melbourne player, of course. How
1: do you guys feel about Brock McLean?
0: Yeah, let's not talk about it.
1: <laughs> um, also, that game, Jim Francis ended his record-breaking run of 142 consecutive matches for the Blues. Um, but this is the fifth time in the last nine seasons that that Carlton have finished fifth and just missed out on finals.
2: Oh, killer. Although they can't blame, you know, the buy system because they had two of them.
1: They did, so they... Re- yeah, he's in this. Of course they did. They had a poor start to the season.
0: That cost them in the end.
2: I did. So that, that takes us into, the, into the, uh, the top four.
0: And that leaves us with Footscray in fourth place in finals. Ten wins, four losses, 126%. So here's a,
2: here's a name you wouldn't have expected to hear up here. No, Footscray. Captain, coach, <laughs> and their league <laughs> goal kicker with 51, Norm Ware. And their BNF was Ed Ellis. They had a fantastic uh, debutante in Charlie Sutton, who played his first game in
1: round two. Yeah, Kaz, do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about Charlie Sutton?
0: That's right. Well, it's Charlie Sutton, as you know, um, they named their best in Ferris after him and um, goes on to be captain coach. And um, another football person, we love a good football person, don't we? <laughs> um, now, he start off in the midfield and... <laughs> and didn't do so well, but um, he goes, goes back um, to my second favorite position uh, apart from the ruck in the back pocket, half back, sorry, excuse me, back pocket, and um, just absolutely, um, you know, it, it just it does so well there. It gets, lots of, it gets a few best and fairest, and also he's famous for his dash. Um, how reliable is that when you've got someone playing like that down there? Mm. Um, he, uh, also, you know, represents the BV, um, and, um, so Charlie Sutton, um, an absolute legend of the game. Um, the, stories, uh, where he takes over from Ted Witten, but, um, sorry, excuse me, that uh, Ted Witten takes over from him and then he comes back to be, um, the coach again. Um, so he's, you know, when we talk about Ted Witten, um, he's obviously right up there too.
1: Absolutely. He is. Um, just to backpedal a little bit, Kaz, Mann, your favorite positions back pocket.
0: Hmm. Yes. Tim, <laughs> I, 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 have a feeling where you're going with this. No, I just, it's a strange one. It is <laughs> extremely, <years laughs> obscure. <here>. look, look. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so I mean, you got you <laughs> somebody put back pocket, and your team's winning. The back pocket gets their chance to shine. Fair enough. Yeah, I just yeah. Okay, I'll go go with that. <laughs> oh
2: god, uh, okay. you'd be you'd be surprised to know that I I played a lot of back pocket in my days. It's a great place to hide someone who's terrible at football.
1: Uh, yeah I, <laughs> I won a most improved award from back pocket. They did yeah you did Timmy.
0: <laughs> no <laughs> hiding your line under a wait a second you you kicked like twelve goals from the back pocket one time didn't
1: you? No 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 I I was mostly a backman in most of my football playing days. Um there were a few times where I did mm. go forward and kick some bags occasionally in against lesser <laughs> teams but, but no I was predominantly a backman. <laughs>
2: Very, very modest of you there, Tim. If I'd kicked a bag, I wouldn't have stopped talking about it.
1: That's a whole nother podcast, Charlie.
2: (laughs) Yeah, true. Very true. (laughs) Um,
1: So, (laughs) Footscray, pre-season, the Doggies had intended to recruit Lindsay White from Geelong, who we'll hear about very shortly. However, Footscray, the Footscray official they sent to recruit him mixed things up and ended up signing Lindsay White's brother, not Lindsay White. Did Lindsay White's
2: brother play football or is it, was it just like, how did he stuff that up?
1: Well, I don't know. And whoever his brother was, he did not end up playing a game for the dogs that season. Uh,
0: because he was probably terrible.
2: I mean, this guy needs to get fired, obviously.
1: <laughs> um, So Doggies lost their first two games, uh, but they had a big breakthrough win against Hawthorne in round three, 76 points uh, over... The Hawks, Bill Houston kicking six. Uh, in round six, they they'd beat Collingwood at Vic Park for the first time, which was a nine point win despite their inaccurate kicking, kicking eleven goals twenty one. Um, they then backed this up with a strong win over Carlton at Yarraville. Round tell round twelve, Footscray beat Richmond at their temporary home ground with Norm Ware kicking seven, which is a VFL venue record for that ground. Charlie. <laughs>
2: Hang on, Richmond on oh no, a Fitzroy's temporary home. Yeah, sorry, I'm with you. I'm with you.
1: Yeah. Um, the season came down to round 16. The doggies needed to win against Fitzroy and hope that Richmond beat Carlton or didn't let Carlton win by a huge amount. Uh, they had a three-point lead at half-time, but they ran out convincing winners by 37 points. Norm Ware again kicking a bag of six goals. Carlton also won, but not by enough, which meant the doggies were back in finals.
4: Yes,
2: there they are, the tricolours. <laughs>
1: Tricolors, a little post-season trip as well. Doggies brought the season to a close at St. Augustine's Parish Hall in Yarraville, followed by an end-of-season trip to Ballarat.
2: Yeah, Delightful, you know, just finish off well. Beautiful.
1: Uh, Now, another surprise team in the four here,
0: guys. Third place, back in the final, South Melbourne, 11 wins, four losses, 129%. Yes, the Swannies. (laughs) After years in the doldrums. Or should we call them? Well, as you said earlier, me,
2: should they be referred to as the Swan Cats at the moment? I'm not yeah, sure what's like, going on there. They've brought all those like, catters you know, along, right? across.
1: Like, yeah, like in World War I when all those cat, when it was uh, Rich, Rich Long, when all those Cats players were playing for Richmond. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, very similar. Have I, uh, so, captained uh, by Herb Matthews this year, coached by Joe Kelly. Um, these guys actually managed to recruit Lindsay White from Geelong, um, <laughs> they did. the much more famous brother, the much better white brother. Um, and their lead, he was the, their lead goal kicker and the lead goal kicker of the VFL this year with 80 and their best and fairest yes. winner was Jim Cleary.
1: Yep. So some other debutants they had were Terry Cashin and Vic Castles. They also got Tommy Lee from Essendon, which was a big recruit. Um, and these big recruits they've got this season have obviously made a huge uh, difference to the team and you know brought them back yeah in the um they're
2: very good at recruiting people <laughs> yeah
1: they are uh even now <laughs> you, talk, you talk about the swans now they, yeah they're still able to lure those names round one they had an opening a victory against collingwood at princess park uh, this is all Lindsay White slotting right in with the Swans kicking seven goals while Tommy Leahy kicked five. That's twelve goals in the first game from new recruits.
2: From from new recruits, that's
0: unbelievable. I love it. Um,
1: round round three, Lindsay White kicked ten against St Kilda. Um, then you thought they couldn't get any better. Round five, they beat Melbourne by thirty three and Lindsay White kicked twelve.
4: He just keeps
1: he just
0: keeps doubling down.
1: Yeah, as uh, the team scored a whopping 148 points in that game, Um, they were third on the ladder after five games. Round six, they had a home match against Fitzroy at Turak Oval because Carlton had a home game at Prince's Park. Um, They lost this game by 14. And Lindsay White had his only goalless game for the season. So, well done, whichever Fitzroy player was playing on him that day. Uh, against Hawthorne in round 12, around uh, 10, they found themselves down by 11 points at three-quarter time playing Hawthorne, but held their opponent to just two points in the last to steal the game by three points. Um, now, round 14, Lindy White would actually miss this game because he was on his honeymoon.
0: Oh, good on him. Where'd he go? Uh,
1: look, I'm going to guess like the Gippsland Lakes or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: But he came back in spectacular fashion against North Melbourne, kicking 11 goals. His long kicks are a joy to watch as his long, fast leading is also. Um, He had a background as a professional sprinter. Uh, So as you said, Charlie, all in all, he kicked 80 goals for the season, 67 in the home and away season. Uh, And yeah, he had those big bags of 10, 11 and 12 goals.
2: Footscray really stuffed this one up. Didn't they? Oh, unbelievable! What are they? Oh, I mean, that guy. I mean, what a stuffer! What an idiot! <laughs> ah, I can't. Even, I can't get over it. That's ridiculous.
1: <laughs> bungle, bungle of the season. And it would be remiss of us not to mention South Melbourne defeating St Kilda in both their games this season, taking out the Lakeside Pennant. Ah, okay. Round three, they took out the win by 74 points, I think as we talked about earlier. And in round 14, they won by 43 points. Um, They are drawing closer with St Kilda now in the Lakeside Pennant, the tally now being 5-4 St Kilda's Way.
0: Second place, Richmond. 11 wins, 4 losses, 134.5%. Captain coached
2: by Captain Blood, Jack Dyer. The lead goal kicker was Skinny Tice with 67. Best and fairest, Leo Merritt.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, some debutantes this year were Max Oppie, Bob Hay, Big D name. Martin. D-, D Martin, cool. D Martin, uh, also known as Des. Des Martin came across from South Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, and, uh, his, hmm. and uh, Bill Bill Paleface Morris also made his debut.
0: Don't know how I
2: feel about that racist nickname. It's uh, it's all a bit much, I think.
1: Um,
0: I'll get round it, but you know. Yeah. Um, so, Which version of racism is just Like, it's like, I don't know anything about Pale Paleface. Let's let's look at it. Up. It's just It's very yeah. I don't um, know. I'm not so, <laughs> I'm what, some, you, you're
1: uh, definitely
2: not nicknaming someone pale face these days.
1: No, definitely not. <laughs> no. Um so at times during the season it was interesting to watch Jack Mueller actually train with Richmond as well as Tom Ferguson because um, they couldn't get nights off the train, so they'd train with Richmond.
2: Yeah, in his big V jumper, Jack Mueller.
1: Yeah, which is um it's unheard of. Training with an opposition team.
0: Yeah, isn't it? Imagine imagine training with the opposition team. It's ridiculous. I like it. Maybe they just wanted to see how many fingers he really had. Ah, that's it.
1: I guess it shows also that teams are just trying to help each other out in these tough times as well, which is good to see. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Now, round one, Jack Titus playing in his 264th game, celebrated in style with five goals as the Tigers kicked away from Footscray in the final quarter. Round two, as the Tigers mm-hmm. beat the Demons. Um,
3: oh, yeah.
1: We talked about that game. The Tigers we talked about on this 30, one. 30 goals, 16, 196 to slaughter the D's. Dick Harris with seven, Titus with six, Dyer and Wally Russell with four each. Um, and just on that Melbourne-Richmond game as well, the... Um, there was a rec- another record made in that game. There were 36 goals kicked to one end, which is a record that was not equaled until the 2001 um, comeback game where Essendon came back from 69 points down to beat North Melbourne. Huge. Um, if, now, if that wasn't enough, the following week, round three, uh, they kicked at Punt Road Oval 25 goals, 25 to beat Collingwood. They are arch enemies. So um, they've kicked funnel-
2: fifty-five goals in two weeks of football.
1: <laughs> yeah, funnily enough, that's in that insane. Game, they were two goals down at the first, at quarter time. Yeah, geez. They Kicked nine, nine goals to nothing in the second quarter and just really ran away with the game. Jack Titus kicked ten, Andy Brennan five. Uh, Jack Dyer was standing out like Hercules and was the hub of destruction for the Magpies in this game.
2: Isn't he always?
1: Yeah, the next game, another 25 goals against the Saints next week. And then a solid win against Carlton in round five. Saw the Tigers as premiership favourites. So, for Richmond's first four games, they've kicked 99 goals.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Round seven, they had a loss to South Melbourne and Jack Dyer was furious. Um, No mercy was shown on the training track during the week. He enforced drinking curfews on the players that usually would go out and drink. Um, And this seemed to work as the team responded and had a good strong win over Fitzroy the following week. I like
2: that because it's not too harsh because a drinking curfew to me sounds like you can't drink after a certain hour. So it's not a drinking ban. It's not like, oh, we we lost, so no more drink this week. It's we lost, so you can't drink after nine, which <laughs> I really like.
1: <laughs> and, and and we're back in days when our pubs had closed pretty early as well. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. The, what do what they call it? The six o'clock, uh, six o'clock swill, wasn't it? Or was this before like then? That, yeah. Maybe. No, yeah.
1: something like that. Um, so, look, after a loss to Footscray, the Tigers had some good momentum with wins over Melbourne, Collingwood, and St Kilda going into the final round. Look, they said on top of the ladder, but then they suffered a fifty-three point loss to Carlton in the final round, and saw them slip to second to end of the season.
0: Now, um, I'll confirm here that uh, Paleface is not not particularly racist this time. Good. Um, he he he's a straight-up gentleman. Uh, Windsor Brownlow does Bill Morris, and uh, was one of their greatest ruckmen of all time. There you go. Uh, known for his. Uh, Tap First Tap work and Knock Ruckman, I think they referred to him as. And um an absolute legend here. Um just sort of one of those of skinny, pale-looking guys. I think that's that's really ah, awesome. okay. Fantastic. <laughs> that was good reading up about him, actually. Yeah, it's good work, guys. And in first place, that's right, the crowd goes wild. Essendon with delicious wins and three losses, 127.1%. Oh, Essendon, so good.
2: Uh, so... I meant to, I did say last year that it was basically the Reynolds show over at Essendon. This year it is definitely the Essendon show because there is no Wally Buttsworth to speak of. Uh, they were captain, coach, and best and winner. winner was Dick Reynolds. Their lead goal kicker was Tom Reynolds with 61.
1: To save you guys the uh, to 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 save you guys from having to listen to me gloat about Essendon finishing on top, um, I've got a special guest in to talk about Essendon on top with me so I'm going to insert some audio here of me and Dan Eddy having a chat about that. All right so 1942 as you said um, a lot of the teams were affected by um, players leaving to go to the war but Essendon was really lucky that we kept the majority of our team because they were essential services.
3: Yeah I've got to think of the names but I know Hugh Tawney who was a fantastic ruckman at the time he was one.
1: I think they Uh, they worked at the fire brigade did they?
3: Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was. There was quite a few. Wally Buttsworth, who was a champion fullback, half uh, back, he was there. Maybe Cess Ruddle. There was a real, there was a heap. And then then because of the war, you had uh, young Harold Lambert just coming up. He he worked at uh, the ammunitions factory at um, uh, Maribyrnong there. Uh, Dick, I think again they found him a job uh, during the war, and he he, he uh, worked. Uh, if you go near Port Melbourne now, Fisherman's Bend there, they used to have an aircraft building factory there during the war, which is wow. amazing when you look at it today. And um, and Dick was like a foreman there. Uh, his daughter Susie told me he definitely was a was a serious worker there, and uh, I also wonder uh, how much he knew about uh, the designing of aircraft, but. Yeah. Um, but he certainly had a job there, and I think Tom Reynolds might have worked there as well. Um, so there was quite a, there was quite a few. I, I reckon it's in the double figures of guys that were actually in, involved in that sense. So that uh, I reckon that really helps Essendon remain a powerhouse when I mean Geelong have to stop going to the stop playing games because of the travel yeah. costs, and uh, and Melbourne lose a stack of players, as do Collingwood. So. Timing helped, but, yeah, we were, we were lucky in that sense that we probably had some business connections that helped us.
1: And on top of that, we have a very famous S in the name, uh, Bill Hutchinson, making his debut as well.
3: Yeah. Do you know which ground he debuted
1: at? I uh, know it was – was it round two and he got knocked back, like, Western Oval or Yarraville Oval or something like that?
3: Yarraville Oval, yeah. These, uh, again, another consequence of war. We We lost the MCG, so they were – they were playing. Putts great played at Yarraville Oval, which, if you've ever been past there, it's this <laughs> very small ground. Um, and he he actually turned up at the door, and they said, "Sorry, kid, you can't come in. This is for the team." And he he said, "Oh, I'm actually playing today." So Dick, I think, had to go and say, "Hang on, he is with us." So <laughs> they, ironically, they became the absolute best of mates, those two. But um, yeah, Hutchie. He was. You look at him. You look at photos of him in forty-two, and he just looks like a little kid. But he yeah. very quickly proved himself a potential superstar in the making. Well,
1: I think it was that round two win over Footscray by four points, where he made his debut. And I'm pretty sure he kept his spot in the team the whole season.
3: Yeah, he didn't lose it again, and he almost hardly ever lost it again in his in his life. He was he was one of the most consistent. It's a very consistent team. You don't I don't think there's a stack of changes during that season from memory. They. It's the last couple of guys they lose to the war, they have to go and serve after that. So, guys like Ted Lahain and a couple of others that just fortunately were able to stick around for a bit longer before they got forced to leave. So, yeah. um, but when you had Hachi learning under Reynolds, who's still in his prime at that point, um, yeah. and Hugh Tawney was one of the best ruckmen in the comp at the time. So, they were, uh, they had, they built a really good list.
1: Yeah. Um, did Dick Reynolds have anything to do with Bill Hutchison coming to the team or was that just a coincidence?
3: Um, he reckons, I found a quote from Dick that said that he, if it wasn't for him going and meeting him at the door, he might not have got his first game. But And I don't think the committee would probably, I think I think it was Dick Dick's suggestion at match committee that he play. Whereas I, I get the sense that maybe a couple of others weren't sure if he was quite physically ready yet, but, uh, so in that sense, he was very good to him. But then after he got in and Dick remained his number one supporter, he always says he's the best player he saw. Um, so I I think Dick was probably a key to his confidence, which is, yeah, that's probably the best word. He, he gave him the confidence that he could play at that level.
1: Yeah. Um, so round one, really good start to the season. We thumped the Demons, uh, the three-time defending champions. And by thumb, like a 54-point win over a team that's just won three premierships in a row. Pretty impressive. I think we've, had, we've got Reynolds kicking six, X will be five, and uh Woppa Lane kicking four.
3: Oh, I forgot about Wopper Lane. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, um, he's a bit of a forgotten name, but he was as good as they came at the time. So our forward line was just potent. It nice. really was. Um, yeah, and that's... Yeah, Tom Reynolds a benefit of that, but Dick and Hutchie could go forward and kick goals as well. But um, yeah, we were really lucky with uh, the big timber. That was the yeah, that was the other key thing. We had a lot of tall timber that was actually talented tall timber.
1: Mm. Um, so in round two, we've got a four-point win over the doggies, and then round three, we've got a uh, a Ted, uh, sorry, Tom Reynolds goal in the last minute to to beat Carlton by five points. So we're earning some pretty tough wins here.
3: Yeah, wins against teams that um, Dick talks about Carlton. I think later in the season that they were the team that he feared yeah. and couldn't beat. So wins like that were pretty important, and he he always had a bit of a chip on his shoulder with the Blues, I think. And uh, so he was always uh, pretty fired up to play the Blues, but they it's the one team that he seemed to feel he had trouble with. So it was a handy another confidence boost early, and then to belt the pies obviously in round yeah, four. And-
1: which was at, at Victoria Park, Park, where they yeah. hadn't won for 16 years.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. So, uh, And that, that all come about from a huge kick, like, seven goals to two in the second term. So suddenly, this giant was awakening almost. They're, they're, they're ticking over. They're knocking off the hoodoo teams that Essendon just have not been able to beat for years. You know,
1: Absolutely. And I think you talk about it um, when Dick Reynolds took over as coach, that in the 30s, I think they beat Collingwood once. And then you know the tide kind of turned in forty or forty-one, where they you know we started actually getting regular wins about against Collingwood.
3: Yeah, we took. I think it took him good feeling because Tom was playing, so it must have taken him five years or four years to actually beat Collingwood for the first time. And they beat them by a point. I think it might have been a milestone game for him too. It was just a, you know, it was they were so dominant the pies in that period. And we, but it's a bit of a changing of the guard. Jock Jock McCale, you've talked about in the past. He. You know, he um, he was sort of coming towards the end of his successful period and, and just as Dick was going the other way. So we're, we were able to turn turn the tide uh, over the 40s period and Dick uh, famously uh, hated Collingwood. So he uh, they said they said for this calm man who never said a swore or said a bad word about anyone, uh, when he yeah. got into the strange rooms before a Collingwood game, he, he'd let, not swear, but he'd let loose, you know, and he'd be frothing at the mouth and he just he just have to beat Collingwood.
1: Yeah, um, and so that was a good, you know, it was a 50-something point win against Collingwood. Yeah, 49-point mm-hmm. win at Vic Park. Uh, and then, so then round six, it's Essendon versus Richmond. Both teams are undefeated. Um, and looking at this match, it looks a little bit like the uh, that St. Kilda the Geelong one from about 10 years ago, where both teams mm-hmm. are coming in undefeated. Really, really close game. Um, if you look at the scores, Essendon have kind of dominated with so many shots on goal, but just, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I think we were five goals, eleven at half time, which is ridiculous.
3: Yeah, that's yeah. Well, uh, when you get into later episodes, mate, you'll, you'll realise that the bombers and awful goal kicking is uh, becomes a bit of a backbone of ours. But <laughs> oh, oh, it costs uh, it costs us at least yeah. two premierships. So yeah, and forty seven. So they, um, but Essendon and Richmond, it was just the start of a, a two or three year a bit like. Sydney West Coast a few years ago where every time they played, there was something extra about the contest. Jack Dyer's at his prime and Dick Reynolds is at his prime. And it's just, there's two or three years here where their games are enormous.
1: Yeah. Um, I've read something in other books that there was like some kind of issue with the scoreboard here or the umpires, but some articles on Argus didn't say anything about it. Have you heard anything about that?
3: Um, I'll get back to you on that one.
1: No, don't, don't stress because some some articles, no, so, some books suggest that there was uh, an issue with the school, with the siren and the umpire couldn't hear it and, this, and then keep the goal and the, the crowd were up in arms, but then have a look through the old trove um, archives and there's nothing in really the yeah, yeah. papers that suggest it, so I'm not sure that's where right. that's come from.
3: Something rings a bell. I have heard something about that, but I don't know. I didn't know if it was that game or somewhere else. But even in my uh, Peter Crimmins biography I'm writing at the moment, uh, there's a game like that in the 70s where, oh, where nice uh, they, I know they go into the rooms after the game and they're actually celebrating a draw because they didn't think they'd get close. And then someone comes down and says, oh, you've just you've actually lost by a point. Like, <laughs> so it was still happening then.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, speaking of Hawthorne, that, that, that that's a good segue into round eight, where um, I think I'd have more, I, I'd enjoy this more nowadays if we did it to Hawthorne, beating them by 106 mm. points at Windy Hill. Mm. Um, yeah. Back, back in the 40s, uh, kind of everyone was thumping the Hawks, so it didn't really matter. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a nice big win, though.
3: Yeah, and it's a it's a period where Essendon are not not necessarily with Hawthorne, but they they're keen to really exert their dominance over teams that have exerted it over them for so long. So Hawthorne's the unlucky one there. But uh, but just against any of those teams that have flogged them, Carlton, Collingwood, Melbourne, Richmond, through the 30s, uh, I, I, I get the impression there was a bit of revenge in uh, wanting to uh, get them back. And Hawthorne do that later on in the <laughs> 60s and 70s to all the teams that have belted them like we did.
1: Yeah, um, no, it's good. Like it's, It shows Essendon's really putting the foot down and not, not afraid to just kick big scores and bury teams.
3: Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. But, but then it's the opposite the next week, isn't it?
1: Mm. Against.
3: Uh, against the, uh, the Saints. It, uh, again, that's the second oh, yeah. round, like Yarraville, they play at Turak Park, the Saints, because <laughs> yeah. they couldn't use uh, Junction Oval at the time. Yeah. Um, as you can see, there's about 4,000 people there, so it wasn't a huge crowd. It wasn't <laughs> a big thing. Again, if you drive past that ground, it's tiny, but uh, you make do, I guess. But to drop that, drop a game to the Saints at that point was unheard of, really. And uh, it was probably acted as a bit of a wake-up call for because uh, we were we were on top at the time and we stayed on top, but the Saints, uh, you know, that that's a game that they would have just walked up expecting to win. So that's a bit of a setback.
1: Yeah, and a bit of complacency around the team at that stage mm-hmm. as well. I think the weather was supposed to be pretty ordinary on that day. If you look at them, six goals to four goals, it's pretty uh, pretty low scoring as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. The rest of the season kind of seems to be pretty regulation wins apart from the game against Carlton, which is, uh, I think, round 14.
3: Yeah, and that's the game that... Uh, that's the game I think sits in Dick's memory at the end of the season because Carlton... They didn't start all that great at the start of the year and they come home late in the year and he's he was a bit fearful. I, I think it's because of that loss. He's a bit fearful that he didn't want to have to play them. And the quirk in the whole season is that the finals were going to be at Princess Park, which is Carlton's ground. So uh and, he, and he was nervous about
1: which Esther can't win at either. We haven't won there for years.
3: That's right, yeah, it had been a while. So they they uh, Dick's probably. I reckon he's pretty nervous looking ahead, thinking, uh, we do not want to play Carlton on their own deck. So at that point, with a couple of rounds to go, he's he's getting a bit nervous,
1: yeah. So they are they, uh, they thumped us by what was it, 50, 53 points. And then uh, the Sporting Globe came out and said, I don't think Essendon will win a game in the final series, they're the weakest side in the four,
3: yeah. That's right, yeah. It's a huge, uh, huge statement. I was. Blown away when I saw that because uh, Essendon, they were on top and they only just, you know, they were still equal top but just behind by percentage. But they, uh, and but Carlton had smashed them. They had like, what is it, 38 shots to 20. So they, yeah. they should have won by a lot more. So I, I reckon, yeah, he's really fearful at that point. But it, it's probably acted as a pretty crucial wake-up call at, a, at the right moment.
1: Um, let's quickly go around the grounds and see what Big Murph's up to, hear about the, uh, the VFA suspension and the merging in the sandful, hopefully.
4: Big Red's local footy roundup, for your state and suburban football action, sinking our teeth into grassroots football. G'day, Kick team. Welcome to the roundup for the 1940 season of football from around this great country of ours. First this week, we take a look at the Sandful and in the first of three Sandful seasons played under reduced club numbers due to the Second World War. The season length was significantly reduced in the 1942 season with each of the four teams competing playing only 12 games. The premiership was won by Port Torrens, who were a merger between Port Adelaide and West Torrens. The 1942 season also saw swelling crowds, which continued throughout the Second World War due to servicemen and women being granted free entry into all games. The grand final for the 1942 season was played in front of 35,000 fans. This figure was very significant at the time because such a large portion of the adult population in South Australia were off defending our great country. In the grand final Port Torrens defeated West Glenelg who emerged between West Adelaide and Glenelg by only 11 points in a thrilling grand final that saw both sides score heavily and freely for the whole game. The final score for the game was 18 12 120 to 16 13 109. The Sandful League goal kicking champion was R. Reynolds from Sturt, South Adelaide, with 45 goals for the season. Unfortunately, football fans, the McGarry Medal was not awarded during the Second World War. Over in the Waffle and in the 58th season of Western Australian football, whilst the previous two seasons had been increasingly affected by the drift of players to various services in the military, the 1941-42 off-season saw the Imperial Japanese Navy and Air Force move into the north of Western Australia, bombing many northwestern settlements. Consequently, virtually all senior Waffle players had been enlisted to work in the war or for the military. And by the end, by the new year, the Waffle uh, were aware that normal senior football would not be possible. So the league decided to debate whether to conduct the 1942 season. And it was decided that, that they would, and they would allow those who were too young for military service, uh, and were under the age of 18, uh, on the 1st of October 1942, were able to play for those Waffle sides. So the teams were largely drawn from players who played in the Young Sports Temperance League, which had 53 clubs in 1941. So quite a large pool of players out there. In a difference to the Sandful, who drew quite large crowds in 1942, the Waffle had a very different uh, season because the teams were filled with the majority of amateur footballers, crowds were extremely low. The 1942 grand final play between West Perth and Claremont saw just 5,000 people attend. The crowd unfortunately weren't even provided with a good game, with the West with West Perth winning by 51 points in a game that was heavily one-sided. West Perth scored five goals, 8:38 to one behind in the second quarter making a comeback by Claremont in the second half nearly impossible. The Waffle leading goal kicker for the 1942 season was Ted Brunton from West Perth with 94 goals for the season. The Sandover medal was won by Laurie Bowen from West Perth, ending a great season for the West Perth football side, claiming the Premiership, which was their ninth, having the leading goal kicker for the season as well as the Sandover medalist. Over in the VFA where the season was abandoned due to the Second World War. Uh, Even though half of the teams competing in the VFA were keen to play the 1940 season, 1942 season rather, no games were ever played. Other winners included Maine up in Queensland and Ballarat in Western Victoria. And that wraps up the roundup for the 1942 season. Until next time, kick straight.
1: Um now the other thing that didn't happen in nineteen forty two was the Brownlow Medal was suspended. Yes. Do we agree with that decision?
0: Uh,
2: yes and no,
1: I think not really actually. I'm
2: gonna say I don't agree with it. I've made up my mind as yeah, definitely I'm speaking. I agree, in agree with
0: you, Charlie. I think <laughs> if the league's still going,
2: if they're still if they, you've still got a premiership, if you've still got a wooden spoon, if all these things still count, why not have a brown for the best player? I know it's yeah, hard because no. a lot of players aren't playing the entire season, but uh, someone, you know, someone deserves it still.
1: Yeah. That's it. You could, but you can look. You're still awarding a premiership. Why aren't you awarding a Brownlow? That's
2: it. You could say you could say the same thing about oh, it should have been this person, but they didn't get to play the entire year. Well, yeah, but the premiership could have been won by. Three other teams as well, but they didn't get to play out whoever they wanted as well. So if that counts, then the brown though should
1: count. Yep. Well, one thing we can look to if we if we choose to is the uh, the old champion of the colonies floating around still.
2: Oh, it's still going, is it? Well, yes. <laughs> uh,
1: CC Mullins actually publishes his book in a few years time in 1950.
0: So <laughs> he's really winding up. <laughs>
1: Well, he's got Jack Dyer winning the uh, champion of the colony this season. Although there is some conjecture that maybe it was Ted Cordner. Um, but I mean, do we do we take anything out of this? Because he was probably actually alive. He was definitely alive here to actually watch football. So maybe, maybe he knows what he's talking about in this in this respect.
2: Hang on, when did uh, when did he die? Eighty three.
1: Yeah. So he wrote. Okay, so. so his book was released. His first book was released in nineteen fifty.
2: So he was he okay. So he's old enough to actually have a good understanding, I guess. Yeah. Look, nah, I, I still can't give him too much credit because it's just, <laughs> it's one guy's opinion. It's not like I guess the Brownlow is umpire's opinion. But if we if we agree if we agree that it was Ted Cordner of Melbourne, then I'll I'll back him hundred <laughs> <Of 100%. course>. percent. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> but Charlie, here's the thing. He's he's also in one of his books. He's got Ted Cordner winning it. At- in 1941. Now, if you remember, Ted Cordner only played 11. Ted Cordner 11 games. Started, yeah. yeah. Exactly. No. So
2: he's. So it's got. So that that way's got to be the right way around. He also had Vic Cumberland winning it when he was in New Zealand. That was Andrew so, Gavin winning
1: it when he was in Perth.
2: Yeah. So <laughs> it doesn't really make a hell of a lot of sense. <laughs> the man's lost his mind. Um, so we'll just have to unfortunately go with the fact that there is no brown yeah. low for a few yeah. years' time.
1: Yeah, so we'll... Uh, yeah, we'll uh, Sad. We'll in, I think 46 is when it comes back. So a few episodes away, which gets us to finals. Oh, finals. So finals to be played at Princess Park this season, the MCG occupied by armed forces. Mm,
2: don't like it. No. I don't like it at all. No. Call it off.
1: First time since 1901 finals haven't been at the MCG.
2: So I should say, um, at some stage during the season, in fact, I think it was somewhere near the middle of the season on the 12th of July, there was a combined services team, uh, that played against a combined team of VFL players chosen by the Lord Mayor of Melbourne, uh, who was uh, Sir Frank Burrup pair So the, t- the teams were, uh, they included, um, the combined services team included Percy Beams, Alan LaFontaine, Jack Mueller, Albie Panam, and Norm Ware, and, plus many others. Uh, the other team included players such as Norm Smith, Jack Dyer, and Bob Chitty. So I didn't have the whole team names, but look, look at some of those yeah. names. It's
1: fantastic. I like yeah. it. Absolutely.
0: Now, you spoke about this at the start of the episode, didn't you? With, um, we had lots of... Uh, um, what do we call them? Community, uh, charity, yeah, matches. exactly.
1: And that's not the end. we'll talk about another one after the game as well. Oh, yes. So we've got finals starting in August as well. 29th of August was the first semi final, yeah. We are. South
0: excellent
1: Melbourne versus Footscray, oh. South Melbourne oh.
2: versus Footscray. Um, so so, in front of 25,000 people, mm. less than half of what it was last year, mm. uh, South Melbourne ran over the top of Footscray, basically. They
1: really did. Uh, Footscray's smaller players got on top of the game early with Arthur Oliver dominating, um, but they just couldn't put it on the scoreboard. If you look at those scores, Footscray are three goals, 14 at half time. Yeah. Uh, so, a f- yeah, to
2: three goals, five. So they did not make the most no. of it. So
1: a fluky uh, South Melbourne point following an Albie Morrison mistaken kick out, cost them a goal. And this kind of gave them the momentum. Uh, in the third quarter, the Swans really kicked away. Six goals in 10 minutes. Saw them take control of this game. Uh, they got on top and won by 27. Lindsay White kicked four. Um yeah, but he, I mean, he should have been kicking four for the doggies though, shouldn't he? Oh,
0: no. <laughs> Could have easily been an eight-goal
1: swing.
2: Eight-goal swing, unbelievable. Uh, so that, unfortunately, kicks Footscray out of the finals and leaves the loser of the second semi, Essendon and Richmond, to play them for a spot in the granny.
1: Correct.
2: Uh, Essendon and Richmond, definitely the two top teams of the year. And uh, they came, but they're they both hard. And um, Richmond managed to uh, to take it up to, the, to your mighty Dons, They Jimmy. did.
1: They, uh, they were the better team on the day. They just took control. then couldn't get their game going. Dick Harris kicked five, Jack Titus three. But following this game, Dick Reynolds came out and said, look, I'm warning Richmond. We're going to win the next game. And then we're going to win the grand final against them. And we're going to win it well.
2: Ah, good confidence yes, um, from the young captain. Now on the other side of that. From King Richard.
1: Yep. On the other side of that, uh, Jack Dyer um, he told his players, Well done, boys. I want to congratulate you all. You played splendidly and with the true Richmond spirit. You're off the chain tonight, but next week in the following one, I want you to look after yourselves for we're going to win this year's premiership.
0: Yeah, I only have three beers. Yeah, they... <laughs>
1: yeah. no curfew. <laughs> yeah.
0: So that
2: takes us to the prelim. So Essendon were a little stung after they lost to Richmond and came in um, to the South Melbourne game pretty hard very much wanting to win as you said as Dick Reynolds sort of alluded to and they managed to get the job done Essendon winning
3: by 28 points we were, to South let's Melbourne.
1: Uh, let's just hear from Dan Eddy and his take on this game as well quickly.
3: Yeah, well, just on the prelim final made it halftime uh, South Melbourne's 5 points up. So we're we're a little bit uh, nervous and I I was very fortunate to sit down with Ted Lahane who was I think he was about 18 in 1942, he only died a couple of years ago. Ted, a lovely, lovely man, and he—he he was a young sinner forward, and he—he he could clearly still remember halftime in the rooms. And I've—I've um, I've got it here what he said to me. He said—he um, said it was one of Dick's most stirring speeches in his short time as coach. Um, he. he At halftime, Dick gave us a real rousing up. He really told us what he expected in very direct terms. And that's the only time I can recall Dick really named players and got stuck into everybody. And uh, after that, they went out and kicked seven goals to one in the third quarter and sort of booked their ticket for the grand final. And um, uh, Ted told me, he said, that was through Dick that sort of spurred everybody on that we got home. So that uh, that was his real... First serious test, I guess, as a coach and he, he inspired his players.
1: Um, now this was also Essendon's first win at Princes Park since 1925. Yes. Yeah. Huge. And Essendon, The only team Essendon was scared of coming into the finals was Carlton because they couldn't win at Princes Park and luckily Carlton didn't make it.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Which takes us to the great grand final. The grand
1: final. Essendon in the grand final again, second year in a row.
2: Yeah, good on them. Maybe they can do something better this time, though,
0: Perhaps. Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps will I thought you were letting him off the hook there, Charlie. But no, we... <laughs> stung him at the end. There. Couldn't possibly. <laughs> Couldn't possibly.
2: Ah, uh, so we better um go and we better go and talk to the
0: the Premiership
1: captain. Let's put up that machine.
0: King Richard, so nice to speak to you. Ah,
1: Thanks, all. Lovely to speak to you today.
0: So, uh, Dick, after
2: a few years as captain now, how does it feel to finally reach the pinnacle? Yeah, well,
1: look, geez, we we got pretty close last year, didn't we? Uh, We felt as though we'd been getting closer the last couple of years. We felt like we were on the right track, and it feels really good to be rewarded for that consistent effort.
0: And as captain coach, you must feel a huge sense of pride in the team you put together to do this.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, it's been a big couple of years for me, especially taking over as a pretty young bloke. But look, the confidence of the club and the other players has made life a lot easier for me.
2: Look, and it all came together. So you won your first eight games of the year, starting with the reigning yeah, premiers. Yeah, didn't
1: we? That was a nice way to start the season for sure. Um, we were disappointed with the way we finished off in the grand final last year. So it was really good to get the monkey off our back early. Um, we had that game penciled in all pre-season and it really gave us some confidence that we could do it.
0: Yeah, the other losses you seem to take were in the wet, muddy conditions. Uh, was something that you uh, had your mind on?
1: No, not really. Look, these sorts of conditions always bring games closer together and unfortunately they got the better of us on those occasions. Carlton were coming into some strong form at the pointy end of the season and look, we bounced back.
2: Uh, look, so it really seemed like uh, you and Richmond were you and Richmond were the ones to beat this year. Uh, did it feel that way on field to you guys as well? Yeah,
1: look, we uh, we felt comfortable that our best was good enough, and Richmond were definitely the team we felt the most worried about. I mean, Carlton as well a little bit, but yeah, Richmond, especially after that second semi-final.
0: Well, you've jumped ahead of me there, Dick. Um, we were about to get to that game. Um, can you tell us a bit more about
3: it?
1: Look, I won't offer any excuses. They were just better and stronger than us on the day. We got beaten by a better team, but we also knew we'd have uh, that we could have been better.
2: Mm. Look, so that one took you into the prelim against South Melbourne. Uh, was there added pressure knowing that you hadn't won at Princess Park since 25?
1: Look, that was definitely in our minds, and thank God Carlton weren't in the finals because we, uh, we were a little bit worried about them. Um, I think having that may have been part (laughs) of it, and I think having that on the back of our minds might have, uh, you know, been a reason for our slow start, but we managed to make it back, and look, especially in that third quarter.
0: Well, we're going to say, what a comeback, seven goals to take control, and uh, run out winners by 28 points. Um, Taking you into the grand final against Richmond, what, what was your plan?
1: Uh, look, I would, I'd been pretty confident after that grand final, after that semi-final loss. You might have heard some words I said, saying that you know we were coming mm-hmm. for Richmond and we'd take them on. Um, look, yeah. we knew what our strengths were, and so did everyone else. It seemed. Um, so look, we—you probably really saw us clog the forward line in that first quarter. There was a strong wind going their way, uh, and then we made sure that ours was nice and open in the second to make the most of it. Uh, look, Tommy, my brother Tommy, and Whopper—they just managed to to go with it. Look, you, ha-
2: you haven't mentioned yourself in there at all uh, either, Dick, uh, but as you said, because of the wind, uh, there was a bit of a slow start and very even on the scoreboard, and then in the second, you guys just seemed to come alive, uh, kicking six goals to the Tigers too.
1: Uh, yeah, look, I need to give a lot of credit to Seth Ruddle for that one as well. He had skinny Titus totally covered. He didn't get, a, get his first goal until uh, the match was basically over. I think there was some, uh, some, some jeers for him, you might have heard.
0: <laughs> and even though it ended up being... Yeah, here. from the Essendon fans, I think, from your <laughs> side. <laughs> um, very one-sided. It was a pretty heated affair at times, wasn't it, Dick?
1: Look, yeah, there was a bit of a brawl with a few reports, but that's just the nature of the game, uh, especially when the premiership's on the line and the Tigers, you know, that you know Jack Dyer and the Tigers are not going to give up easily.
2: No. Uh, look, there was a bit of a longer break than usual at halftime. Can you tell us a bit about that, Yeah, Dick?
1: look, I'd, I'd be... My pleasure to. Um, the league and both teams thought it'd be a great idea for Jack and I to just go out and urge uh, spectators to subscribe to the Austerity War Loan. Uh, we know what the boys are doing for us over there. We really want to you know, do what we can for them here.
0: Yeah, excellent sentiment, Dick, but the the longer break didn't seem to kill your momentum. The guys kept uh, going from strength to strength, kicking six in the third, and um, as well as giving you an unsaleable 60-point lead. 60 points, Dick. <laughs> Um, How did you feel going into the final quarter?
1: (laughs) We felt great, honestly. Uh, We knew they really couldn't touch us and that, you know, gave us even more confidence just to play our game. Uh, It was a great way to end a tumultuous year.
2: Uh, Look, so uh, last bit of stuff from us here, Dick. Um, Three-time Brownlow winner, uh, now premiership coach, premiership captain, and I'm going to say it because I know you won't, best player on the ground today. Dick, (laughs) Dick. Where does today rank for you? Uh,
1: look, um, I'm, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned Whopper Lane there. With six goals, six. Um, oh, come on this. And, and you know I don't like to take the credit. But yeah, look, um, thanks, guys. When you put it all together like that, it's a bit much, isn't it? Today is, is the best. No exception. Look, the Brownlow means a lot. It means a lot. And uh, being able to win it more than once was unbelievable. But nothing comes close to the feeling of winning a premiership. Uh, just hang on a minute, guys. Jack Dyer's just
4: uh, just in the rooms. You can laugh. My players are over there crying. They can't taste their beer. They hate your guts. And you're all here laughing. Well, enjoy it. Because next year, I'll be waiting over there for you, Reynolds, and it'll be your turn to cry. I'm congratulating you now, but I don't mean a word of it. We were beaten by seven goals. We should have won. Oh, um, Dick, Dick, are you still
2: there? Can you, can you hear us?
1: Yeah, guys, I'm going to have to leave it there. I'll hopefully speak to you again another time.
2: Okay. Uh, thanks, thanks yeah. Dick. Um, c- congratulations, no, sorry, again.
1: Congratulations. Thanks, Great to talk to Dick there. Now, I've got a little bit of audio from Dick later in his life reflecting on this game, so let's have a quick yeah. listen to that as well. We went on in 1942, and I thought that was one of our, well, as far as I was concerned, it was a, a marvelous achievement. Uh, to win my first grand final, or play the club, and and, and that. Although I've won brownie medals, I feel that winning, winning the premiership in 1942,
4: that was the highlight of my career up to then.
1: Yep. Beautiful. So in that game, uh, we got Gordon Wapalane with six goals, six. Dick Reynolds kicked four goals himself. Jack Casson, three. Exelby, two. Derl, two. Abbott and Reynolds, one each. That being Tom Reynolds. For Richmond, we got Harris with three. Die with two. Titus with two. Hay, Martin, Merritt, and Randall all with one. Uh, best for the Bombers were Dick Reynolds, Derl, Abbott, uh, Coward, Buttsworth, Flanagan, Whopper Lane. I could go on and on and on. The whole team, <laughs> big asterisk
0: Thanks thing. So all of that. Mm.
1: <laughs> no, it was a fantastic year that for that. game was also yeah. Jack Titus's 190th consecutive game. Jock McHale's, Massive. Jock McHale's record is 191.
2: Oh, is he gonna do it? I think he is. <laughs> um, there was as we said, there there was lots and lots of emotions going on, and we just heard that in the in the locker rooms there from Jack Jack Dyer as well. Yeah. Um I feel like even more so than last year with, you know, with the stuff with Barassi um, and the war sort of becoming more in full swing. Um, there was a lot of emotions running high. And I know Richmond uh, read up a bit about um, the Richmond player, um, Bill Cosgrove, Timmy, who you might have yeah, to, yeah, you read about yeah. him as well. Um So that definitely added added a bit of fire to Richmond before the the finals. Um, Cosgrove, he wrote a letter to... um,
1: Well, I think it was actually his...
2: No, sorry, Brian Hanson. Yeah, Brian Hanson received a letter from Cosgrove's squadron officer about how much he loved the club. And he said things like, when you unfill the, that flag this year, I want you to know Bill Cosgrove will be with you in spirit. Mm. It was a so go in and win, Mr. Dyer. Best of luck to you and the Tigers. Yeah. So every player in Richmond steeled themselves to win that flag for Bill Cosgrove, mm. um, which is probably why he, he took the loss more badly than he usually yeah. did, unfortunately.
1: Um, and if you were wondering, uh, Bill Cosgrove's nephew is Peter Cosgrove. Oh Chiefs wow! Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah good. Uh, that's yeah. That's it's inspiration, and and you can imagine Jack Dyer would have been pretty shitty that you know he couldn't couldn't quite yeah get absolutely done, especially after knocking them off in the semi final two weeks earlier. Yeah,
2: but. definitely. And look, there's there's so many stories like that, and we'll go into more detail on stories like that when we do our little special yeah. about some a few different things. Yeah. But uh, I thought that one was just really interesting and gives you a bit of an insight into why Jack Dyer may have. Reacted the way he did.
1: Um, mm. Now, the reserve premiership was won by St. Kilda this year.
2: Yes, uh, quite well. A big asterisk next to that one. There were about four, four clubs that didn't have reserve yeah. sides this year.
1: They knocked off uh, Fitzroy 88-57. to 57, But um, St. Kilda being St. Kilda, the senior committee gave a trophy to each successful player. <laughs>
2: oh, no. Embrace it when you can, yeah. boys.
1: Always celebrating mediocrity, those Saints.
2: Mm, um, they certainly week are. Week after
1: the grand final, there was a patriotic match. Essendon playing a combined services team. Uh, this is that team, Charlie. From the back. Okay, Charlie, here we go. Carlton Hillard of Fitzroy, Bywater of South. We've got in the halfback Smeaton of Richmond, Mueller from Melbourne, Jack Grant from Fitzroy. The centre line is Tom's from Footscray, Lafontaine from Melbourne, Trainer from South. No. Half forward line is Bob Pratt from Coburg, John Todd from Williamstown, Handley from St Kilda. The forward line is Morris from Richmond, Laurie Nash from Camberwell, Huppatz from Footscray, and the centre the followers, uh, Frank Curcio, Captain from Fitzroy, Norm Ware from Footscray, and Charlie Panham from Collingwood.
2: Lovely. So hang on, did
1: you... Uh, you uh, Ron, said John Ron, Todd, yeah, but Ron, Ron Todd, Todd yes. right? Yeah. No,
2: okay. Bob Pratt and Ron Todd in the same forward line. Unbelievable. <laughs> and, and Laurie Nash. And Laurie Nash. And then you've got Norm yep. Ware as well in there. Um, yep. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. That's but, that's not a bad sign. Yeah.
1: But Essendon won. Essendon won that game, which was raising money for the Lady Duggan Hostel for Women's Fund. The final score being 24 goals, 18, 162 to 20 goals, 15, 135. Oh. Dick Reynolds, best on ground, seven goals from the... You can't
0: team. beat match fitness, can you?
1: Unbelievable.
0: No. Yeah. So, Okay
1: brings us to the uh the pointy end of our episode
2: it does it does
1: um so just just for your information guys the buy curse so yes the team following mm. the buy won nine times and lost six times so is it a curse there was no curse in 42 it's a, bl- a buy blessing they call it a buy blessing <laughs> 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 um, so let us uh, let me just run through a few retirees for the 1942 season. Yeah. We've got Frank Gillett Carlton, 205 games. He's been playing since 1929. Who cares? I couldn't work out whether he, he's the last 20 player left in the 20s or not. I'm not sure. <laughs> Burt Mills at the Hawks, 196 games. Charles Skinner from North Melbourne, 114 God. games. Uh, Bluey Truscott, 50 games, two flags. Keith Bramie Truscott. Hmm. Bray Wartman, I believe a winner of the McCracken Name Award, uh, 125 games and three flags among his, uh, his lesser achievements. Yeah. Hayden Bunton, 119 games, three Brownlow medals.
2: zero finals. <laughs>
1: um, Albert, Albert Lita Collier, uh, 217 games, one Brownlow, six premierships. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, <laughs> And Woll Lee, as you said. Oh, beautiful. Charlie, head trainer at Collingwood for 50 years. Um, and the other one is Dan Minogue. What? Yes. Last season in charge of, as a coach or a player. Uh, so we've 600. got, yes, go on. So 363 games as a coach um, being involved at Collingwood, Richmond, Hawthorne, Carlton, St. Kilda, and Fitzroy. How many premierships? Just the two? Two, yeah. Two as coach. Uh, yeah, to his coach. Um, yeah, an absolute legend of the game. Um, I think he moves in to be a player rep in the tribunal. So I don't think we've heard the last of him, hmm. but his, playing day, his coaching days are now an end.
2: He's a real football man, Tim uh, Kaz, as you'd say. <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, so shall we wrap things up to end the
2: episode? Yes. So, uh, Tim, who won the premiership this year? <laughs> The bombers flew up, up. up. <laughs> oh, they did.
1: <laughs> Kaz,
2: 53 points. Kaz, who was the leading goal kicker?
0: Uh, didn't you say it was our mate Titus again? No, mm-hmm. not quite. It was, it was Lindsay White Thank you. of of Geelong slash Woodscray slash
1: South Melbourne. <laughs> uh, who knows could which one it I was. Post something. Go on. We have got the we've got the Coleman Medal and the Coleman Medal Rules, which is, you know, the home and away season. Yeah. Should we have a name for the, the leading goal kicker overall? Should it be like, I like the it? Coventry award. The Gordon Coventry Medal or something yeah.
0: like
2: that. Yes. Well, hang on. Yeah, okay. Let's let's sit on the name for a minute. have yeah, well, got we an call idea it about she, Yeah. Yeah. No, we've got I've got yeah, we've got to have a think about this. Thank you. Okay. Right,
1: we'll come back to that. Come back to that next episode.
2: Yeah.
1: Um wooden spoon.
2: A wooden spoon, the Mayblooms, the Mustard Pots, Hawthorne, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> their sixth wooden spoon. Yeah. Um, highest score for the season was a Richmond's 30 goals, 16, 196.
2: That is just outrageous. 99 goals in four games.
1: Oh, it's insane. <laughs> um, now, Kazman, the McCracken Name Award. i got some interesting ones for you. I'm going to go through them very quickly. Okay. We've got... A- Barney Jorgensen, Reg Hawkins, Roy Stabb, Teddy Long, Fonz Auger, Dudley Proben, Marcel And here come the
0: alliteration names.
1: Yep, Bill Butler, Bruce Briggs, Fred Fitzgibbons, <laughs> uh, Vic Castles, Max Oppie, and Bill Paleface Morris.
0: <laughs> well, I want to go with Jorgensen because we know that there's the um, the education, um, the uh, right lots of journal articles, Jorgensen. But uh, I can't go past <laughs> Bill Paleface Morris with the absolute legend of the Mighty Tigers. <laughs> Eat him alive, Paleface. <laughs> I don't think that seems like... Well, so he
1: has a chant... So he has a chance to be the first dual McCracken Award winner slash Brownlow medal winner. Absolutely. Wow, unbelievable. <laughs> they couldn't the have honor, chosen that, that would be the honour. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the grand final tally as of 1942. We've got Collingwood with 11, Essendon 7, Fitzroy 7, Carlton 6, Melbourne 5, Richmond 4, Geelong 3, and South Melbourne 3. Um, so that I believe brings us to the end of a, another season
0: of 1942. 42, a you great lot. one, big silly. asterisk. Can you believe it?
1: <laughs> there's no
0: asterisks over that season, guys, man. <laughs> there's three asterisks. When you got to scroll down, you got to read the details there.
2: Absolutely, so, we're learning
0: a lot a about.
1: Legitimate- a legitimate premiership.
0: <laughs> no, we're learning We're learning a lot about Essendon it, and their tricky ways. Oh, that's right. Well, Essendon aren't like compromised, are they? Um, that's hey, one thing.
1: Hey, we, we win premierships. We win them if they're round robin series. We can win them. It's true. if true. If there's a compromise season. Look, we can win them
4: anyway. <laughs> Any way you want.
1: Yeah. We can well, adapt. Totally.
2: Uh, well, that brings us to the end. Looking forward to 1943. See what right. see and what um, the future brings.
1: Yes, the future is. and um, the past
2: at the same time somehow.
1: Listen out for our Dan Eddy special as well, yeah. um, and we will be having a World War Two special at some stage in the near future. Definitely, it might be a, a two a two part special. We've got a lot of uh, stuff well, to put into it.
2: Absolutely, I was going to say there's so, there's so much to talk about. I think we'd be uh we'd be mad not to uh make sure we do it properly uh so yeah at this stage though that's that's it from us we look forward to uh to speaking to you again soon and and uh please keep on listening and go back and listen to some of the old stuff you know go back to
1: uh,
2: when when was an, when was a good time tim when's a good time
1: to start oh, 25 Lord. when the when
2: the when the other guys come in that'd be yeah, when 24
1: North- is a, 24 is a great season as well oh yeah yeah get around it <laughs> yeah no nah, go, go back to the very start yeah, you'd be mad not to. We've You've got time. Update- You've all got time. Yeah, we've slowly been updating some of those.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, after Footscray come in, I like that one um, with all the controversy with and Tim, always looming there. Yeah. such a such a team. Yeah.
2: Mm go go back listen listen to what's got what's happened in the past and uh, and we can't wait to uh, to speak to you all again soon in the uh, in this crazy time that we live in mm, absolutely
1: yes indeed thank
0: you for listening so until next time huru
4: About the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at, at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.